Thursday, July 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today for Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and Motley Fool Inside Value, Mr. Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. Hello again. Hello. Uh, we have a big grocery chain that is having a horrible day, but we are going to start out in Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, which is the big annual uh, gathering of the mines. Uh, Warren Buffett was out there, uh, a lot of leading business thinkers and economists. Uh, Buffett was on CNBC this morning, um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the things he said, guys, because we've talked before about how Buffett is, uh, for lack of a better term... Captain America. <laughs> he is kind of Captain America. He's sort of the, the, the cheerleader for the, for the U.S. economy. Um, and... He just wasn't sounding all that optimistic, or certainly he was sounding more pessimistic this morning than he sounded in a while. He talked about how uh, the U.S. economy has sort of just been bumping along a little bit the last few months. He talked about housing and how it looks like it's relatively strong, but then he acknowledged we're working off of a low base. And Europe is, is in his words, starting to slip pretty fast. Um, Joe, I'll just start with you. What, what did you make of his comments this morning? What stood out to you? Well, he's been so positive. My gut reaction upon seeing that was, that's not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was, Ron Gross, uh, our colleague Ron, he said the same thing this morning. He was just like, you know, when Buffett is sounding like this, yeah. this, this has got to mean bad things. Yeah, and I think his reads are all good ones. And not only is Buffett the best investor of his generation or the best one on the planet, but he runs a diverse company that is in all parts of the economy in the world. And because of that, he can see data ahead of everyone else in terms of what's going on. So they own Burlington Northern, for example, at Berkshire Hathaway, which is one of the biggest freight carriers in North America. And because of that, they have a good feel, you know, a finger on the pulse of the economy. I do think he's right to be concerned about each of those elements. On the flip side, you know, I think if you pro Buffett, he would probably say that could also create some buying opportunities for patient investors, long-term investors like himself, like our foolish investors and listeners. And you know, I do think if you were investing in Europe-centric businesses, you're going to have a rough go for a while. But if you're looking with a five-year time horizon, which you should be, you might be able to pick up some good bargains if you know the poo hits the fan. <laughs> the poo is that technical? I think that's clean. <laughs> that, that, that should get clean by enough. the censors, uh, Jason. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Buffett is typically very optimistic, so when he when he you know sounds a little bit more pessimistic, I think it's worth taking note. But there are a lot of things that I appreciate, like uh, the way he's coming across, especially in regard to Europe. He says, "Look, we don't know." I mean, so. Uh, it, it makes me think of a, an article I read yesterday on Fool.com. Our own Morgan Housel put out a good one on the histories of things that didn't happen. And it referenced how the prognosticators prognosticate and typically get it wrong. And he went back and used some yep. specific references to oil prices and uh, S&P earnings. And so, you know, to have him come out and, and, and not be so specific, but just to say, look, there are a lot of things going on and nobody really knows what's going on. And even in his 2011 uh, letter to shareholders, he said that he, he predicted a bounce back in housing and he admitted he got it dead wrong. Uh, so he's one to step up there and, and admit when he's wrong as well. And so I, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, uh, I was going to say, in terms of Europe, I mean, he was pretty emphatic when he was talking about Europe and saying, look, I don't know how it's going to go. Nobody knows how it's going to go. You know, Europe's going to be there in 10 years, but I don't know if the euro <laughs> is going to be there in 10 years. And, and he, he pointed to something, and, and Joe, I want to get your thoughts on this. He, he, he um, shared this anecdote, you know, a, a quip that Henry Kissinger uh, apparently once made, which was, you know, if I want to get Europe on the phone, who do I call? 
you know, what number do I call to get Europe on the phone? And, I'm, and uh, you know, it, it raised a good point that when we had our financial crisis here in the United States back in 2008, it really just came down to a couple of key people, you know, Bernanke, the Treasury Secretary, Hank Paulson, that sort of thing. Europe is dealing with, you know, multiple people, multiple leaders, uh, rolling elections. Um, and I'm just, you know, he- hearing Buffett lay it out that way, it just made me as an investor want to stay even farther away from Europe uh, in terms of investments. It's, I mean, is do you find yourself in the same situation where you're even less optimistic about Europe-based investments than you were even six months, 12 months ago? Yeah, well, it's definitely tough for them to work out solutions. You know, if you think of the concerns we have in Europe and the slowing economy against what we have in China, where they're kind of facing a hard landing with the economy, the nice thing with China is at the top, they can pull some levers and make decisions very quickly, just like in the U.S., how we can roll right over laws and the Constitution to make things work when we need to in short order. Um, that is a concern, but I, you know, again, just want to say that there could be some real interesting opportunities that come out of this. And I think that Buffett himself will probably be the first one bursting through the door if the European economy does fall off a cliff. Yeah, it's worth remembering, and he, he says this time and time again, uh, net buyers of stocks really need to be pulling for those prices to go down in the near term, because if you're going to be buying stocks, you obviously want to buy them low. And so, uh, you know, regardless of, of what kind of exposure a company has to Europe, uh, whether it's 10% or 90%, you need to, you need to pay attention to that and, and look for the opportunities as buyers of, of uh, long-term holdings. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on on a stock uh, for patient investors, but first, I I think uh, it's worth pointing out uh, because earlier this year uh, we talked about Warren Buffett's health uh, when um, he revealed uh, that he had prostate cancer. Um, I got to say, he looked good this morning. He sounded good sitting there with Becky Quick on Squawk Box. He just, um, you know, for for people who had any level of worry about the state of his health. He's, he's looking really good for a guy his age and um, you know facing that challenge. Um, so just to wrap up, for patient investors who are thinking, you know what, if Warren Buffett is a little bit more pessimistic than he was six months ago, I need to be even more patient. What's, uh, what's a stock to take a good, long, hard look at? Well, I think Berkshire Hathaway itself is a great pickup at these prices. I think it's worth about 107 bucks, which is pretty good upside from where it's at in the mid-80s. Uh, it's at a 16-month high, but I still think it's really cheap. It's only selling at 1.2 times book. You know, Zooming out a little bit or kind of answering your question <laughs> more directly, I think U.S. banks are still really attractive. Uh, everyone hates them, but a way to think about it is they're a lot of them, particularly the investment banks, so like Goldman Sachs, for example, uh, J.P. Morgan, are basically selling at the same relative valuations that they did in the financial crisis. Well, they have a lot stronger balance sheets now than they did then. And the while we have a lot of you know hangups with our economy and with Europe, times are not as uncertain right now as they were during the financial crisis. No matter what you know, CNBC might lead you to believe. Jason? Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit of a different route here and kind of in line with what we talked about yesterday on H.H. Gregg's Troubles and Best Buy and all that. The company that's essentially reshaping and redefining retail as we know it is Amazon. And uh, I I think that as they continue to build out their distribution network and grow their presence in virtually every retail space available, that today's price is a very fair one as a long-term holding. Because once they get that distribution network built out, I believe that they're going to be a much more profitable operation than they are now. And I think the share 
price, uh, share price is going to reflect that. Uh, yesterday, as you mentioned, we talked about shares of HH Gregg falling more than 40%. Uh, that was yesterday. Today, shares of super value down more than 40% this morning after the company's latest earnings report. And Jason, the earnings report included the news that the company is suspending its dividend and exploring strategic options, including selling part or all of the company. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's it's uh, it's taking obviously a big hit today. And this hits home here at, at Full HQ. We have some recommendations out there and people behind uh, Super Value. Yep. Uh but you know, this is in my in my mind it's it's beyond a dividend problem. I mean, this is a money-making problem for this company. Uh, and it could be argued that they really should have cut this dividend back in 2009 or 2010 because they really haven't been able to afford it. Uh, but they, uh, for three years running now, they have lost money. The coverage ratio, which is essentially a measure of how well they can cover the, the debt that they owe, is less than two, which we like to see that number higher. Uh, they have net debt of greater than $6 billion. And so, yeah, I mean, I think suspending the dividend was inevitable. Uh, what's concerning to me is that they are suspending the dividend to enable them to cut the costs in their stores, to, to lower prices in their stores, to try to attract uh, shoppers back into the stores. <clears throat> That's not happening. Same-store sales have been declining for the past three years, and even top-line revenue is down 20% over the last three years. So this is a company that's facing a big money-making problem. And Joe, I don't want to try and extrapolate too much out of this, but... We're, oh, the market is. But, yeah. So, go but, ahead. But but this is this is not a small company. This is the third largest grocery chain in the United States. Yeah. For context, people probably don't know the name Super Value, but they own Albertsons, uh, Cubs, Save-A-Lot, Shoppers. There's Shoppers right by my place, Shop and Save, uh, a lot of other funny named <laughs> locations that have terrible economics. Um, these guys are in a really, really tight spot, and they're faced with a couple different options. And the one they're going with is they're going to try and aggressively compete on price. Well, good luck with that. In a world where Walmart has so much buying power, great distribution, people flowing in their stores, and as of last quarter, uh, grocery sales were up low single digits at Walmart. They were down low single digits uh, at super value. I don't see how that trend ultimately reverses. And they're cutting costs. Well, you know, in retail, you need to keep your stores at some level of quality to keep people coming in. I looked at the numbers and the CapEx guidance they've got for the year. So the amount of money they're going to put into maintaining the stores, essentially, is about half of depreciation. Essentially, that means they're going to be really underinvesting in stores. That is not a recipe for bringing new customers in the door. And it basically is just a way to kind of milk cash out of the business in the short term. Maybe that's so that they can try and sell the business, but it's not a long-term solution. Yeah, and I think for investors here, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because as an investment, well, you've lost the dividend, and that stinks. Um, and then with them cutting prices, with the cutting the dividend in order to be able to lower prices in the store, eventually it's going to sacrifice the margin line as well, which is going to affect the profitability of the business. So investors get screwed that way too. Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't know how in the world they handle this. There's so many different substitutes out there for the low-cost providers from Kroger to Safeway, Walmart, Sam's, you know, BJ's Wholesale. And I mean, to be fair, you look at a company like Safeway, and it's not like they're faring a whole lot better, but they are at least growing uh, the operation, growing the top-line revenue, and they can afford their dividend. Kroger uh, has, has grown top-line revenue over that same period of time, and has, is, is be able to, they're able to afford that dividend as well. And so, you know, when you see a company like Super Value with declining same-store sales, 
year in and, and a year lot out of the past three years. A lot, a lot of, of debt. debt. And then in the call I read, they're looking to add more stores into the mix here. Well, we talked about that yesterday with H.H. Gregg. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any Joe sense. Joe astutely observed that that's like lighting investors' money on fire almost. And so really, it's, it's concerning for investors. I think they really need to take note of that. Yeah, I think the current operating strategy takes them to zero in five years, to be honest. I don't know how they survive with that strategy. I think the plan here is really trying to pull an M&A or investment banking hat or rabbit out of the hat, essentially, by doing some sort of spinoff with Albertsons, selling a business unit or trying to find a buyer. Um, none of those are going to be easy, though, because investors are obviously skeptical. And you know, I'm not sure who is going to be eager to step up and buy a company with such a massive debt load. Uh, the debt load is about 10 times the market value of the stock today. Pulling back from super value and looking at public companies writ large, how big a red flag is it when a company comes out and says, we're suspending our dividend? Jason? Well, I mean, if you have to take it in context. You have to go a little bit further into just whether the dividend was cut or not. I mean, if they cut the dividend, then you have to look into exactly why. Look back in history to see if they've been able to afford the dividend to begin with. Uh, you know, great example here over the past few years, just in the financial crisis, there were lots of dividends that were cut. Uh, but I think rightfully so, businesses really need to, needed to batten down the hatches and focus on survival as opposed to uh, being as shareholder friendly as they'd like to be. And, you know, again, I mean, I think you could make the argument with with super value that they should have cut this dividend back in 2010 because when you look at their payout ratio it's they're paying out way more than they're making in net income year in and year out so that's a problem uh, in this case I think it's it was one of those inevitables that was just bound to happen at some point Joe yeah by the time a company has cut its dividend the horse has already left the barn and is halfway across the country <laughs> and that was definitely the case that's a here. fast horse halfway it's, across the country it doesn't have to be all that fast when you're dealing with companies like this uh, big box retail today kind of reminds me of newspapers circa 2006 2007 when a lot of value guys were trying to convince themselves that you know a lot of there was still a lot of interest in the product. It'd been around for a long time, but you know the economics are just fundamentally changing here, and they're not going to turn for the better. Well, there's a comparison no one no one wants to hear. It's like, wow, you're you're like a newspaper circa you know 2005. Yeah, in 10 uh, years, people will be like, newspaper? What's that? Uh, before we wrap up, uh, I got to mention an event that we are having um, in August, uh, and it's for our blog network. Uh, for listeners who may not know, we we do have a blog network here at the Motley Fool, um, and for people who are interested in blogging for the Motley Fool, um, it's a way to reach thousands of investors. It's a way to actually get paid. Um, we're having a one-day workshop on Friday, August 17th, here at Full Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. That's Friday, August 17th. Uh, August 17th. It's uh, no charge to attend. And if you're interested in the details, just drop an email to blog at fool.com. We'll send you all the details. That's blog at fool.com. Before we wrap up, I, I couldn't help but notice as I was watching Warren Buffett this morning. So they're having this event in Sun Valley, Idaho. Now, I've never been there. I've never been to Idaho. I mean, the shot was gorgeous. I mean, it looks like a, a you know, beautiful countryside and all that. But it sort of got me thinking of, of – I'm not sure how they picked this place in the first place. Yeah. But, but it's a little bit of an out-of-the-way location. If you're, if you're thinking, oh, we're going to gather the foremost business thinkers and economists uh, across the country, Idaho doesn't you know, crack the top ten list <laughs> of, of, of likely candidates in my book. But – um, 
make a pitch for another place. Oh, I mean, so it's another sort of out of the way place that you think would would host a nice gathering. I didn't see the video, but I'm assuming the blankets were because there was maybe a little nip in the air. They right? had some blankets, yeah. Becky Quick and, and Warren Buffett, and then later uh, Senator Alan Simpson and Erskine Bowles joined the panel, and they 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 looked very comfortable. But they all had blankets around their legs because it was you know it's like six a.m. Well, they're maybe. all they're happy to go way out of the way. Then I say go to the fiftieth state, man. Get all the way out to Hawaii. You're guaranteed the weather will be warmer, certainly very scenic, <laughs> and it's out of the way. I mean, they obviously have no problem getting out of the way. Do you so. have a particular island uh, of the Hawaii? I don't. Islands that and you I've never I've never been to Hawaii, and that's a, a goal of mine is to get out there at some point here in the next uh, ten years or so. But no, I think any of them will do. <laughs> Joe, what do you think? Maybe a little southeastern love. Uh, my granddad built a cabin on a lake about sixty years ago with his bare hands. Very very hard man. Awesome dude. <laughs> And back then there was no one there, and now it's populated with former senators. I think Nick Saban owns a place on the lake. It's Lake Burton in northeast Georgia. Very nice, relatively ritzy, out-of-the-way place. Private, beautiful, and power broker people love being there. And is is his cabin still there? We cashed it out at a ridiculous game. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy for you. I was just kind of hoping we could crash Well, there. it was actually kind of sad. I think they ended up bulldozing the cabin and building a new place, which is sad. But we cashed out right before the market bottom. So <laughs> sadder for the one who bought it, I guess. Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.